Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Higgett. We're so happy to uh, have you with us for today's show. Uh, we got a full agenda for today, so I want to get right to it, starting with uh, introducing our panel. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, is here as he is every Monday and Friday. Did you have a good Easter? I had a great Easter and a wonderful weekend. And now um, we've got the Cobb County Mafia in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly right, because across the uh, studio table from you is Ginny Earhart, Representative Ginny Earhart, a Republican. Uh, You're actually in Paulding County, aren't you? I'm in Cobb. She is my... West Cobb. Cobb. I'm West Cobb. She is my... This is my state rep. How about that? Wow. Yeah. All right. So is there anything you need from her as long as she's <laughs> sitting here, Galloway? There are a couple roads that we yeah, need I to know. talk about. Yeah, I know. I don't think that's the first time I've been asked about that. Ginny Earhart, you were elected to replace your husband in his seat, mm-hmm. Earl Earhart, mm-hmm. who was in the legislature right. for two plus decades. 30, 30 years. That long. 30 years. Uh, but you have an interesting, just because this is your first time on the show, just very briefly, mm-hmm. you've worn a lot of hats professionally yeah, you, yeah. you're kind of a stylist home decor yeah. all that stuff yeah right, right. A, lot, a lot of parts to me that's for sure uh, I was a stay-at-home mom for 18 years okay. probably one of my more important roles was raising uh, four children right here in Cobb County uh, I uh, a TV show in Atlanta for a while I have a radio food lifestyle show that's on hiatus has been on hiatus during the uh, session okay uh, here in Atlanta. Uh, I have a home decor business that I built uh, from scratch in my basement with a, a, oh. a girlfriend of mine. Uh, let's see, three years ago, we had two employees. Uh, as I sit here today, we have 23. Wow. Wow. Okay. I well, I'm it. glad you're here. It, Thank Earl you for... was retiring, and I thought, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Owens is here. Of course, he's the immediate past chair of the Cobb County Democratic Party. And uh, Still an important player in Democratic Party politics in the state of Georgia. And everybody is eagerly waiting to find out what will Michael Owens do next politically since giving up that uh, Cobb County chairmanship. And I assume at some point you might tell us what your plans are. Immediate plans is what I've been trying to do, which is rest. <laughs> after after spending, you know, three or four years in a... Uh, in leadership in, in Cobb County and, and what I would like to say is across the state, really, uh, working on, you know, working with Democratic candidates, working with the state party. Uh, you know, I've I've had, you know, some joy out of the last several weeks <laughs> just trying to relax. And, um, you know, now I, I still get all the calls, right? I still get all the emails come in and I'm more than happy to just hit that forward button on the emails and send them along to someone else. But um but I'm 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 uh, you know still working really hard, very actively engaged, and uh, look forward to having an announcement here sometime soon. Yeah, and we're looking forward to whatever you might be announcing, Mr. Owens. I don't think it's too uh, hard for people to guess, but uh, yeah, we're ready to get going. Also joining us from uh, NPR studios in Washington, Kyle Hayes. He is the founder and overseer of Peach Pod, which is a we've said it before a terrific podcast. And although you, Kyle, are as we've said before up in Washington. You're you're from here. You keep on top of Georgia politics. And in fact, your latest edition uh, is a pretty long interview with Teresa Tomlinson, who, of course, has formed an exploratory committee to decide whether she'll be a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But welcome, Kyle. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Georgia's always on my mind. Yeah, so. and and the I'm right that the Teresa Tomlinson uh, episode is the most recent in the podcast, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, go to Peach Pod wherever you get your your podcast from, and I think you'll be glad you uh, you've had a chance to listen to it. A couple of breaking news stories. One, I'll just mention it very quickly. Herman Cain has asked President Trump to not nominate him for the uh, post of a member of the Federal Reserve Board. There was enormous controversy around Herman Cain's uh, the, the, the thought that, that President Trump, who dropped the hint that he might name him, there was enormous controversy. 
and uh, Kane has decided that he won't do it. We mentioned it only, Jim, and we don't want to get into all the controversies because it's a done deal, but because he's, uh, you know, George has been home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a former WSB radio host. Uh, he's 73 years old. Uh, he he uh, was ran a 2012 presidential candidate, and you know the the but the the fact is he had four Republicans already lined up against him, and that means his his uh, nomination In was a no go. Yeah, four Senate Republican yeah. senators said they would not vote to confirm him to that post. Here's though a big breaking news story, and Jim, let me start the ball rolling with you on this. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, earlier today agreed that they're going to consider a Clayton County case which will determine whether gays and lesbians are protected under federal discrimination laws based on sexual orientation. That's a huge case. Right, right. And this is it's one of three. There's a, a, a another case out of uh, New York and another one out of Michigan. This one involves a Clayton County employee, uh, a Gerald Lynn Bostick. He was a child welfare s- uh, services coordinator. He had worked for the county for 10 years uh, when uh, uh, his his association with a, a gay softball league. Uh, became known. He was he was he was fired uh, uh, allegedly under a bad audit. Here and here, the interesting par- part is that he he put his case before U.S. District Judge Arenda Evans. She denied it. Yeah. He put his uh, uh, case up. He then appealed it to the Eleventh Circuit. They denied it. And and now the 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 U.S. Supreme Court has decided to take it, which means there's there's change in the foot, and a lot of people are pointing pointing to the uh, dissent written by Robin Rosenbaum uh, uh, on the Eleventh Circuit, where where she said, "I f- continue to firmly believe that Title VII protects prohibits discrimination against gay and lesbian individuals because they fail to conform to their employers' views when it comes to whom they should love." So I I remember when the uh, uh, the federal Federal cases, the lower courts ruled on this, and I remember feeling surprised by the rulings. Now we know the Eleventh Circuit, Ginny, is a much more conservative mm-hmm. circuit than many of the federal courts around the country. But I remember thinking, we we are moving toward uh, inclusiveness when it comes to the gay and lesbian community. And so I remember thinking, gee, I'm surprised in a way that the lower courts ruled this way. They were the Arita Evans was relying on a case in the circuit court in which uh, a ruling was made that Title VII didn't protect a security guard at Georgia Regional Hospital who claimed she was harassed because she's a lesbian. The point being, it just seems to go away from all the trending that we've seen in terms of acceptance of the gay and lesbian community. We do see, <clears throat> excuse me, we do see trending in that direction, that's for sure. But I don't think that's the question. The question is whether or not Title VII uh, is addressing the issue of sexual orientation or just biological sex. And time and time again, it has been ruled and determined that this addresses the issue of sex. So I think essentially what I think the courts are saying here is this is not a decision for the courts to make. This is a decision that for the legislature to make and to be determined and decided at the, at the level of the legislature where it can be openly debated. Uh, my personal opinion, yeah. why maybe the court wants to hear it, um, I think they're going to uphold the 11th Circuit ruling. So, Michael, Jim said an interesting thing. He said the fact that two lower courts have already ruled against and now the United States Supreme Court picks it up. Ginny thinks this is an opportunity for them to affirm the lower courts. I can't help but wonder if they think perhaps it's worth hearing because there may be some leeway here. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I think this is one of those cases in where you know the what is that that the the arc of the the arc of justice right is is bending towards this and um jenny you're 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 right to a certain extent um but the fact that two lower courts have already overruled i mean have already ruled against this and the supreme court has a matter of taking this up um it's you know we're at a point now in this country where um the trends are undeniable, right? And I think um, as we start to look more and more about the number of people that are that are becoming open, coming out of the closet, if you will, um, this is starting to obviously affect a very large portion of society. And I think one that's no longer where people are in the closet or swept under the rug, um, you know, people deserve to have their rights protected. And, and that's what's the heart of this. And I think that Supreme Court is finally at a point to where they really want this in front of them. So with, the, you know, I'm not going to predict predict a SCOTUS ruling, um, 
But it's to me, it's telling that they want this to come in front of them. So, Kyle, uh, one of the other things that's interesting about this is that I think Ginny makes a fair point that, that the lower courts ruled very specifically and strictly along on, on Title VII and what it does or doesn't include. But the United States Supreme Court uh, is a court where they can exercise judicial uh, uh, improvisation, if you want to say. I mean, they can reach a decision that might be far uh, more uh, far-reaching than what the lower courts do. I'm not sure I said that right, but I bet you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did notice, I was actually a little surprised to notice some concern among progressive court watchers today who were worried that the case might actually undo previous Mm -hmm. rulings that build up the judicial body that defines what sex discrimination is. And so it's while this you're... looks like a big opportunity for LGBT people and and acceptance in the workplace, you know, it's possible that this could be written to go back the other way and narrow the existing um, jurisprudence. Well, on this Jenny, issue. that's right. your point. And I'm not saying the two things are mutually exclusive. Certainly addressing the issue of discrimination in the workplace is one thing. I think what we're doing here in this situation is speaking directly to the language of Title VII. Mm. What does it say? What does it mean? Uh, we know how the courts have ruled in the past. Uh, like I said, I, you know, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist here, but I think maybe this might be an opportunity for the Supreme Court to mm. settle the issue and, right. the, and then bring it up uh, in the legislative process where it should be. All right, let's watch how that and, unfolds. And we should, Go we, ahead, we, we should note that, 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 that Georgia has no state law forbidding discrimination. We, we have no civil rights statute, which has always been one of the, the reasons that so many people object particularly to a religious liberty bill, because there's no civil rights protection uh, to on the other side of that, right? Right. All right. Um, we don't have a date for this case. The Supreme Court has not set a date. I'm assuming... It's not going to come till the fall session. I mean, we're not no, going to hear. It's not going to be decided before they uh, leave for uh, this year. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, case to watch unfold. Let's move on, Jim. Uh, on a number of occasions on this show, uh, we have both, I think, made the point that although the legislative session, which Ginny Earhart just went through and the legislature just concluded, uh, did not reach an outcome, they did not vote to uh, pass the state takeover of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. They, they put the issue to the side, but we know it's still alive for the next session of the legislature. It's the second year of a biennial next year, and they could take it up. And the point we've made on this show on any number of occasions is we're really only one or two federal investigative uh, releases away from ha- giving more ammunition to the legislators who want the state takeover. And boy, this weekend, two stories uh, in the AJC mm-hmm. that that could, in fact, fuel uh, those who want to have a state takeover. The most Specifically, uh, airports focused uh, one is that we now know that the feds, BJ Pack and his team in the U.S. Attorney's Office, are investigating the deal that Mayor Kasim Reed made with uh, Miguel Southwell to get him to step down, to fire him essentially from his post as head of the airport. It involved a payoff of some $147,000. Mm-hmm. Um, City Council was not aware of many of the details of this. We don't know where the money came from. And we don't know where the money came from. This is going to be... It's a big, another big story. It's it's another big story, but uh, well, first of all, we should acknowledge that over here at the studio we have a a a, a lawmaker whose predecessor also attempted a Earl Earhart was he was huh? he wanted that uh, airport. I don't know for what years. you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so but 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 here here here's the thing, Bill is 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 that. One message that that Brian Kemp has has kind of sent in 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 addition to the fact when he said he was against this legislation and thought it was it was it was a, it was a poor idea is that he wanted to make sure that Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms knew that the city had to keep its nose clean from here on out. Yeah. This is this is this is more detail, yes, but it's arising from the 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 the, the Reed administration and what happened. Two or three or four years ago, so it's it's not it is it is it is a, a it is further transparency, but it's not a sign of of increased uh, uh, 
uh, uh, increased corruption, I would say. Well, but Michael, you would think that it didn't have to happen yesterday for the legislators who are eager to see the state take over the airport to say, yeah, this happened a few years ago, but here's another reason why we can't allow the city to continue operating the airport. Yeah, um, but but as as um, Jim said, I mean, you can't let's not cross administrations here. Um, we this was clearly something within the Kasim Reed administration. If you remember back to when it happened, May of 2016, there were a lot of fireworks around this. I mean, there was there was allegations both ways, and both men wind up accusing each other of of, of legal illegal activities and so forth. Um, you know, and I'll still stand by the fact that. You know, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms ran on the fact of trying to clean up a lot of the corruption that's been going on, not only in City Hall, um, but but throughout the throughout the entire city and administration. So I don't you know, I, I want to make sure we keep that distinction and say, oh, yeah, it's it's bad. Look at this. Um, yeah, it's something to talk about now, but you, know, you it's hard to tie that directly to it unless you're going to say that Keisha was on the uh, or, or Miss Bottom, sorry, was on the uh, city council at the I, time. I, Jean, I don't see it that way. I mean, it seems to me that, again, it is certainly true that your husband for many years fought to uh, get the state to look at taking over Hartsfield Jackson. And so whether it's the current administration that's engaged in uh, activity that might be suspicious or not, it's all part of a larger body that I would think legislators who were on your husband's side during right. all this would I, use as am, ammunition. Absolutely, I would agree. And I and I agree, actually, that, that now we don't want to paint the current mayor with the broad brush that, uh, of Kasim Reed. Uh, but what I also think is important is we want to make sure that the the uh, whether or not, in terms of keeping your nose clean, whether this airport's being run properly, properly and ethically, we want to make sure that that is not dependent upon the ethics of whichever mayor happens to be in uh, in office at this time. That's why I, I love the compromise that the House came up with, you may recall. An oversight. The, 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 oversight. An oversight committee. I view that as, as, let's go halfway. Let's provide that accountability and that oversight. Being a Republican, and maybe I might even, uh, you know, part with my husband in, in this opinion, I'm not a big fan of government takeover of anything unless it's needed, unless we're invited. And there are times when I feel a little bit like uh, the city of Atlanta and Hartsfield or a little bit like that petulant child that's in trouble and the parent keeps saying, I'm going to count to three. One. Two, you you got to change, shape up, and let's make it right. So that's why I, I was a big fan of the uh, the oversight committee. This bill is not dead. So the other story, Kyle, that uh, comes into play here was a, uh, an investigation that uh, the feds are conducting over to the relationship between former city attorney Kathy Hampton, again part of the Reed administration, uh, what her relationship is with the law firm was with the law firm Paul Hastings. Paul Hastings did a lot of the work on uh, the grand jury uh, 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 summonses, uh, subpoenas for information relating to the federal probe that's ongoing. They presumably billed for millions of dollars without going into great detail on this. Uh, The question has become whether Kathy Hampton in some way benefited by steering business toward Paul Hastings. And uh, and the reason it becomes relevant in terms of all this airport conversation is that it turns out that another thing the feds are looking at is whether or not uh, the city of Atlanta was using airport funds to uh, uh, pay for some of the uh, uh, billings that Paul Hastings and, for that matter, a few other law firms uh, were doing uh, for the city. That's that's potentially very troubling, too. Yes, Kyle? Yes, and I think it just kind of adds, you know, if you're not laser-focused on this issue, there's seems like there's this background hum of, like, some... A uh, big point in ongoing federal investigations into City Hall every three weeks or month or so in in Jim's newspaper, and so it I think it makes the job of the current mayor much more difficult on defending the city on the airport takeover bill when these things keep popping up over and over and over again. One thing to to keep in mind here, Bill, is that is is that the FAA has already announced uh, several weeks ago that it was going to include an, uh, the Air- Atlanta airport in a series of audits. And they're about to begin, aren't they? And they're about to begin. Yeah. So so I think what you might be able to do is take a look at this B.J. Pack investigation. He's the U.S. attorney. And and, and look at it as, as them getting ready to see what comes out of it and be prepared to see what comes out of that audit. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, I, you know, Michael, you think that, that because of this isn't the, the Bottoms administration, that uh, there's not as much of a compelling argument to be made by the supporters of the state takeover. Here's what I but, think. The Hartsville-Jackson Airport has been the busiest airport in the world for almost 20 years now, right? A hundred million plus passengers a year. 250,000. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and my simple question is, if there's so, if it's so terribly run, then how does it continue to be effective, efficient, and move that many people in airplanes around to, to support the, the entire ecosystem of the world at this point, not only the nation? So, um, I mean, yeah, not only the nation. So I, I, w- I would question that going, you know, things can't be as bad as they seem. Um, this takeover has other items outside of the airport just not running function uh, as a functioning body. Well, I mean, which Michael's point is well made because, Ginny, it was many of the Republican leaders at, down at the Capitol mm-hmm. who all said, including your your own, not that he's your speaker. Why does his uh, name keep coming up? Oh, oh, you, oh, I thought you were referring to my husband. No, 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 no. I no. mean, uh, okay, you speaker know, we Wilson. had Republican leaders, including the governor, saying mm-hmm. we, we don't quite see why there's a compelling reason. But we'll watch right. between now and next January. I was going to say, why don't we just buckle our seatbelts and see yeah, what happens? A lot's going to happen. And I, I think, think that's it, right. We'll see how bad it really is. All right. I want to ask, throw out a question. Um, Jenny, let me start with you on this, uh, because you were a supporter of 481, mm-hmm. I believe. The, I was a co-signer. The, okay. The uh, bill that virtually outlaws abortion in Georgia. And uh, uh, Galloway on this show made the point, probably correctly, that Governor Kemp was not eager to sign this bill into law as long as the Masters tournament was heading to Georgia uh, while it was uh, uh, going on here. He didn't really see any point in bringing national attention to that bill at the same time. The Masters is over. What are you hearing about what the governor's plans are? When's he going to sign this bill? Yeah, I, I don't quite understand the the sort of the concern with when he's going to sign it. He will sign it before he... He, he, you know, before it's May 12th, I think, is the deadline. Yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned earlier, is it going to be a big production? Yeah. Or might, he, might he sign it quietly? I hope it's a big production. I want to be there. I want to be standing beside him. I want to be photographed uh, beside the governor when he signs this. It's a pivotal bill. Um, and just one minor correction, it does not virtually outlaw abortion in the state of Georgia. It's very specific and very narrowly defined in what it does and does not do in terms of a woman's right to have an abortion. Uh, abortion will still be legal in the state of Georgia up until the point that a human heartbeat is detected. It'll also be legal for cases of rape, incest, medically non-viable babies, health of the mother. Uh, there are a host of exceptions that were included in the language of HB 481. Michael? Go ahead. <laughs> when, when, when a bill that does not allow a woman to have a choice about her own reproductive health, and when we know that what we consider a heartbeat, the heartbeat bill is at six weeks, plus or minus, and that the vast majority of women do not even know that they're pregnant at that point in time. That's actually an incorrect fact. The vast majority of women do know they're pregnant uh, before that point. The vast majority of women determine they're pregnant somewhere between three and five weeks by use of a home pregnancy test. So So just just to correct on that point. uh, uh, Fair enough. I don't Mm -hmm. want to relitigate 481 today. We've certainly spent Mm -hmm. time uh, uh, doing it in the past. I, I do want to hear your thoughts on this. But here's why I want to know whether the governor's going to do this, as you hope he does, with mm-hmm. a flourish, big public ceremony, or quietly sign the bill and then have a news release saying it's enacted in law. Um, Kyle, you're the guy who's living in Washington right now. A big public ceremony. This bill has already drawn national attention, along with several other states that have passed similar uh, laws. Texas, I think, is the most recent one. Next oh, to Ohio, Georgia. actually. Ohio more recently. All right. Uh, it's already gotten a lot of national attention. How much do we want in this state to have a big public ceremony, lots of video cameras there making the national news? Ginny thinks that's a great idea. What What's the take as you, sit, as you walk around Washington, D.C. about this sort of thing? Well, I think this is building into the, the laws or group of laws that the Supreme Court will consider that conservatives and uh, um, pro-life people want to see the Supreme Court overturn or significantly undermine the reasoning in Roe v. Wade. 
Um, and so for Governor Kemp, I I think it doesn't actually make much sense to do this in a quiet way. Democrats are going to make this an issue in the next election anyways. And so it's worth it for him to get in front of supporters of this bill and say, we delivered on this issue, which is we said we were going to do, and this is what we've done. Um, and so I would expect them to make a big deal out of it and take pride in uh, Georgia state law being one or potentially in the group of laws that challenges right. All right, Galloway, you're nodding. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense for, for for the governor to do that. It will make less sense for some of Ms. Earhart's uh, colleagues in East Cobb and uh, and and elsewhere in North Metro Atlanta to, to do the same. One thing, Bill, I, I I am interested in watching is okay. The governor will sign the bill. The ACLU will go directly to a U.S. district judge and ask for a stay. Mm-hmm. I want to know whether the state will be a complete on all provisions of the bill or whether he will pick and choose which provisions are, 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 are allowed to go into effect and what won't be. Uh, because there are two parts of this bill. There's there's the six week. There's the six week. Uh, the ban of, on abortions after six weeks, and then there is the personhood aspect. Right. Right. The 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 pledge of the state to give the hu- full status of human beings to to yeah. uh, to six week uh, a, a fetus of six weeks, and that has tremendous implications th- throughout throughout the state bureaucracy. That 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 I I don't think and I don't think those implications we we don't know what those implications are yet. All unintended right. consequences, unintended consequences of of forcing a bill through because you had the numbers and because Governor Kemp ran on this to have some of the most restrictive archaic bill around abortion in the land. He now is at the precipice of having that. Um, but any time going back to outside of not only this bill. But when you have to when you have to say, well, let's let's calm down things because the Super Bowl is coming. Let's hold off on these. Let's wait until the Masters is gone. Well, we've speculated on that, that clearly. We've never heard the governor's office say that. Of course, of course. From saying, like, if, you know, if, if this is if this is the the attitude that we're having because we don't want to mess with Georgia's status as the number one state to do business in, then we need to understand what those consequences are and and take more of an understanding because people can in Georgia can have a a negative, a negative attitude towards what the rest of the country thinks. Um, but when it comes to business, you know, we all have, we're all in this together. So that leads yeah. to really, Jenny, we <laughs> got to get to a break because we're running late, but I definitely want your response before we do. So is Jim right that there are probably members of the Republican House and Senate who are in that northern metro area that won't want to be at the ceremony that you so hope the governor will have? Right. Uh, my colleagues that have signed HB 41 are proud to do so. Whether or not they decide they want to come to a signing or not is entirely up to them. They'll have to make that decision. Um, and, but he's absolutely right on the issue of the personhood aspect of this bill. That is exactly what sets this bill aside from others throughout the country. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily overturn Roe v. Wade. It dovetails right into it in that the very language of the oral arguments in Roe v. Wade said that should the states determine the personhood of the child, that the argument collapses. So what this is doing is establishing what, what ultimately what the goal here has been and what I have said to my constituents is, is this establishes that that child at the point of human heartbeat um, has the rights and privileges and is worthy of protection. Um, and that's where we're speaking to it on this. I've heard, had no indication from the governor's office that he's looking to enact part of the bill and not. Oh, no, 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 uh, yeah, no, I, I no. no this, is, uh, this would be a judicial. It, oh, a okay. Governor can do that. OK, well, I didn't. I was gonna, I wasn't sure if you were implying that he was making that suggestion. Um, I certainly have not heard anything about that. All right. We do have to get to a break. Um, I will say before we do, Ginny, that one of the debates that we've had on this show mm-hmm. is, uh, and we've done it pretty fully, I think, is the question of whether what doctors or what anybody who's listening to a baby uh, in the womb at six weeks, if that, in fact, is actually a real heartbeat or some other physical mechanism right. that is <laughs> happening there. I mean, we 
I think science, I just want to be clear that I think science is a little unclear, undecided about whether that's in fact a heartbeat at six I've weeks heard that it not. is, but, but I'm happy to hear you refer to the uh, six-week-old as a baby. Uh, it's often, <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do think the, the, the terms like fetuses right. or contents are a little disconnecting. Right. <laughs> and I do believe the Medical Association of Georgia would, was not accepting of this bill. Okay. They were against yeah, it. Yeah, no, they were. All right. Let's do this. Like I said, I don't want to relitigate it. I'm interested in all of your takes on this and how the governor will do it. Because uh, if I were his press secretary, I think I'd do it a different way. But heck, if I were his press secretary, I wouldn't get a chance to do this show every day. So I'm happy to be right where I am. <laughs> this is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Now is the time to show your support for Georgia Public Broadcasting. It's super easy to do. Join us as a GPB sustainer. All it takes is a contribution to GPB each month. Set up yours at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. Your support continues automatically month after month. You never have to remember when it's time to renew. And you provide a steady stream of support for the programs you enjoy, which helps with our planning. Consider joining us at $12 a month as a GPB sustainer, and we'll thank you with the all-new 100% cotton light blue GPB pocket tee. It's quick and easy to do at gpb.org, where you can see all our great thank you gifts. Just click the green donate button at the top of the page, or call 800-222-4788. We're counting on you this spring to keep GPB going strong. Thank you. Um, we have a new Republican in the 7th District Congressional race, uh, Jim. F- just this morning, um, well, first we should say that for the last two days, our friend Eric Tannenblatt, who is a major figure in Republican politics here and across the country, has been tweeting about, oh, there may be a new person. It's a woman. She's got everything. She's well-funded. She's this. She, he's really prepared the groundwork for what happened this morning. <laughs> yeah, and and I and I got I got to tell you that 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 over a Passover Easter weekend, yeah. <laughs> I think we let that that tension slide a little bit. We weren't all that. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it was. Uh, this is uh, uh, Bill. You've got the. the yeah. Uh, they, this her, is her name is Lynn Hamrick. Mm-hmm. She was a woman who worked as an executive for Home Depot, then went off on her own and uh, uh, built a uh, nonprofit that she says was designed to help women uh, uh, mature into leadership roles. I think her husband is an Arthur Blank, runs Arthur Blank's for-profit Right. Uh, yep, she's company. So she, so she, definitely a self-funder here. Yeah. So let me just first, uh, and of course she's running. Right. But ahead. the most important thing is, is number one, she's, she's running in the seventh. Exactly. She's a woman. A woman. And she's, she is, she's not a Trump denier. She, well, that's we're going to listen to that. She put out a video, as everybody does these days, when they decide to announce. And we're going to pick it up a little bit in the first thing that we see in this video is images of some of the Democratic uh, women on the Hill who have are giving Republicans, uh, they're licking their chops and having fits about them at the same time. So it's Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, it's Ilan Omar, it's Rashida Talab. Uh, there's a, oh, Nancy Pelosi is in there too. And at that point, after seeing these images, this is what she says. That's the best they can do in Washington. If your kids behave like these women, you'd ground them. If they worked in your business, you'd fire them. We need more women in office with conservative values, common sense, and real world experience. I'm Lynn Homrick, and here's my story. I'm a businesswoman and the mom of four. I worked my way up building a successful career at Home Depot, becoming vice president of human resources. Since then, I've started nonprofits to strengthen our community and encourage young women to seek leadership roles. Now, I'm ready to lead by example. I'm running for Congress to strengthen our economy, make sure families have affordable health care and great schools, and that American values are celebrated, not attacked. I'll work with President Trump to make America stronger. And I'll take on the career politicians from both parties to get results for you. We need more competency and less chaos. Results, not resistance. Together, we can change Washington and start solving problems again. Join me. So there is Lynn Hamrick's 
introductory video, Kyle, Jim Galloway said an important thing. It's a woman running up there in the 7th District. We know Gwinnett County uh, women uh, seem to be moving more toward the Democratic Party. The question is whether a woman, well-funded woman, who embraces Trump in her opening video might have a chance to gain back some of the uh, women's support up there. Yeah, I heard that she was getting fitted for her certified outsider's jean jacket today to run in the <laughs> of Senator Perdue. Um, yeah, I think she's a really interesting candidate to jump in this race. Um, and I'm going to actually be really interested to see how the issue of the heartbeat bill plays out in other races as candidates get asked what they would have done or what their view is. Um, because she may end up running against Renee Unterman, yeah. State Senator Renee Unterman, in this primary. Who carried I mean, 481. Yeah, carried who, the bill. Yeah. 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 So, um, um, so, yeah, it's an interesting... I don't think there's much question that Renee Unterman is jumping into this race. Uh, and I'll tell you why specifically, mm-hmm. Jenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd Ream, who is a frequent panelist on this show and who puts out uh, a uh, political blog every day, uh, he's already... Uh, taken a shot at Lynn uh, Hamrick in his blog today. Uh, and that says to me, since he works with Renee Unterman, she's coming. She's coming. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it'll be, you know, if uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, uh, uh, HB 481 aside, uh, I mean, both of these women could have have very good credentials as outsider. There's right this last session. There was no one more outside on uh, on the uh, in in the in the Senate Republican Caucus than than uh, than Renee Unterman. Uh, that that uh, uh, HR HB four eighty one aside. Yeah. All right, Michael. Uh, at the same time, well, go ahead. When you heard what you just heard on her video, as a Democrat, where do you go after her based on what you heard? Um, I I still love the idea that that Alexandria Castro Cortez and and the rest of the new freshman c- Congresswomen are still garnering this much support and fear from the Republican Party. I think <laughs> I think it's an outstanding thing. Um, there's no doubt our our party is heading in the right direction, and they're playing a game of catch up. And and what they have to realize is that uh, the mood of this country has changed. And I think the 7th Congressional District, as uh, we see now with the leaving of Congressman Woodall, um, is, is trending blue. And I think to, it's going to be interesting how someone who comes right out of the gate as, a, as an ardent Trump supporter is going to do. And, and I'm also curious as to how the other Republican candidates getting in this race are going to respond and react to that, right? If, if they're going to hitch their wagon to the Trump train as well, or if they're going to divert from that. I, I'm going to be interested in seeing how that plays out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got, look, you've got, you've got the 6th and 7th congressional races are going to be extremely, extremely re- important to the Republican Party in mm-hmm. Georgia. Because what you've got now is you've got, uh, you've got developing this huge gender gap. Uh, between between Republicans and Democrats, uh, and and you could I mean, uh, what what is it? What is it? You are how how many how many there are what fifteen Republican uh, women in the House in the House right mm-hmm. now out of uh, what one hundred and five mm-hmm. out of one hundred and five. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a that's a huge gap there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Jim, the the Hill. Uh, reported over the weekend that a uh, one of the national Latino voting rights groups has uh, been urging Brenda Lopez, state representative Brenda Lopez, the Democrat from Gwinnett County, to jump into the race. Uh, that in itself is okay. It's kind of interesting. But what is very interesting, with, when you've got a Carolyn Bordeaux who lost to Rob Woodall by only about 500 votes last uh, in 2018, already in that race, raising a lot of money, is you've got Democratic leaders in the House, Bob Trammell and a couple of others, saying, yes, Brenda Lopez, jump in to this race. What's that about? Just wanting one well, of their Well, own? number one, number one, when you are in the House, you are in a club, whether yeah, you're, you're a Republican or you're sense. a Democrat. And and if, if you go up to your leader and you say, I'm running for Congress and nobody else in the House is, I need your support, more than likely you're going to get the support of yeah. that leader. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also <laughs> seems to be, uh, you know, you're going to, you know, it's Solomon, you're going to cut the baby in half, you know, Michael? I think, um, you know, there's there's two people that have been mentioned, State Representative Brenda Lopez and, and Sam Park had also had been mentioned yep. at one time. And, and I think it speaks a, a lot to the district itself. 
I think the way Georgia's trending, you know, you look at Gwinnett County as ma- uh, majority minority county. Um, you look at the new Americans and the new voters that are coming in. Uh, so I think that is what leaves that door open. Uh, besides the fact that I think both Representative Lopez and, and Sam Park have both been pretty phenomenal in their in their tenure thus far in the House. But I think it leaves that, that door open, and um, it's it just going to make it for a very, very interesting run, I right. think. Well, with all due respect, <clears throat> I've failed to see anything phenomenal that Representative Lopez has done, uh, at least this session. I'm, I'm not aware of it, if there is. And I don't know that I would hang my hat on that Latino Victory Fund endorsement or whatever that oh, she's no, getting. I, I, I mean, that that's the group that ran that barbaric, absurd catastrophe of a political ad up in Virginia. Uh, remember with the... They had the Republican governor supposedly running over minority children, the fear monitoring, the race baiting. I, I don't they I'll be honest with you. A lot of Democrats have distanced themselves uh, from that organization. So I'm not so sure that it, would be the as I motivator. as I said, when I uh, passed the ball over to Galloway, mm-hmm. that it's interesting. <clears throat> but more interesting is the fact that House Democratic leaders are mm-hmm. urging her to get into it. As I, well. I think the money issue is is very important. Right. And, and what Bordeaux had raised, maybe 340. Is that is she over 200 at this point? I don't know. I, I think so. All I right. Think so. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to move ahead a, a little here. We were going to talk a bit about the Sixth District race. If we get to it, we will. But I want to talk to you about the U.S. Senate race. Here we are, April 22nd, we're a week from the end of April, Stacey Abrams still hasn't told us what she wants to do. At first it was going to be the end of March, then it was going to be sometime in April, the end of April. Meanwhile, you did a long interview for PeachPod with Teresa Tomlinson, who has formed her exploratory committee and uh, is able now to start raising money. She's certainly out there all over the state uh, telling uh, people why she would make a good U.S. senator. But among the other things you asked her was that question of what happens if Stacey Abrams jumps in and you're kind of second in second place up there, right? Right. And she told me that, um, you know, her and Stacey Abrams have been in the trenches of democratic politics for a long time. And it, it was kind of counterproductive for them to be working against each other. Um, and so I think she's uh, sort of trying to step lightly on that right now. But I think she, I imagine she is eager to, if Stacey Abrams decides not to run, she's eager to get going with this race. Because in our interview, she was, she had, you know, thoughts on a whole array of issues um, about what she would like to see done if she becomes a senator. So, Yeah. And I want to throw one of them out so that uh, we'll play a little bit of your conversation, which people can hear in its entirety by uh, uh, subscribing to your podcast, Peach Pod. Um, you asked her about Medicare for all, the big question in the Democratic Party nationally right now. Let's just listen to a little bit of how she answered that question. I think everybody's on in agreement that, that we have to go back and make some changes to the ACA. But I think generally speaking, it is a good policy structure, a great base upon which to work, but we can make it even better. One of the things that I talk a lot about is expanding Medicaid immediately Uh, excuse me, Medicare immediately to 55. If you do that, it is something that you can largely do under the current system. It's something that would largely pay for itself because citizens are already paying for very high uh, premiums, of course, and they're already paying for those who are not covered. Uh, And so once you begin to expand to 55, you can see how the market adjusts to that. Michael, this is an issue that Democrats across the country are going to, one of the issues they're going to struggle with, the most liberal wing of the party saying, let's expand, let's have Medicare for all, and uh, the more moderate uh, wing saying, let's be careful here, we don't want to go too far with this, ACA is working. I mean, this is going to be a tough issue for Democrats to deal with in 2020, isn't it? I think first and foremost, all Democrats believe and understand, as most Americans do now, that we need affordable access for health care for every single American. I, I think that's the base of it. And, you know, you can you can argue about how ultimately that's going to come to pass. But I think when we start understanding that health care is an absolute must and, and we don't play around with what's accessible or what's affordable, we make sure that every American can have health care. I think that's where we start now. This you know, the thing about whether it's Medicare for all or 
um, the ACA look. The ACA was a fantastic start. And, you know, my personal opinion um, is is it was groundbreaking. It was needed, um, but that's not ultimately not where we stop. We continue to make it better. Um, is there division within the party? We're going to rally at the end of the day around making sure that every American can have health care. Ginny, what Michael says may be, in fact, true, but words matter. Words do matter. And if you're an Elizabeth Warren say, or, or a Bernie Sanders saying health care for all, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the more moderate Democrats saying, well, let's tweak ACA, let's make it better, let's make sure we protect pre-existing conditions, uh, that's how vo- voters are going to hear the, both of those uh, arguments, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. It will be interesting. You know, we addressed that in the in the House uh, this year with our, our approach to uh, some Medicaid expansion, which the Dems voted against. Um, but I will say in the case of... Um, Ms. Tomlinson, um, you know, my, my, my take is on that is that uh, in speaking of Medicaid for all, or I think she even used in Kyle's interview a sort of a pragmatic approach to that, she has to say that. Uh, I think Medicaid for all is, is uh, unattainable and unsustainable, more, more importantly. Uh, but I think just in speaking to the candidacy in general, I mean, she strikes me, uh, and, and she's a very sweet woman. I listened to Kyle's interview. Um, but, you know, the subject line on her uh, announcement or her press release on, her, on the committee that she formed was, you know, Basically, I'm in if if Stacy's not. Um, so I essentially, uh, you know, and hear my heart when I say this. She's a second string yeah, candidate. She, she knows. She's a we, second Jim, string. we got to get to a break. Uh, you get I, the last. A so, second not, string candidate. Mm-hmm. Hold on a minute. I, I know Teresa Tomlinson personally, yeah. and, and she is a phenomenally smart woman. That that as mayor of of Columbus hasn't even scratched the surface of what she's right. capable of doing. If she decides to run for U.S. Senate. We will be lucky to have her as a well, candidate. It's not an indictment of her senator. personality or her abilities. It is simply her words only that she's only going to run if Stacey Abrams is out. <laughs> Last word. Okay, on 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 the health care issue, I think both Republicans and Democrats are going to have to start when, when they get deeper into the weeds. They're going to have to start listening to hospitals and especially hospitals in rural Georgia, because because any change to Medicare could have dire consequences if if uh, if, uh, if 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 you increase dependence on Medicare, that could have dire consequences. Yeah, the, the, if the funds might be forced to take le- uh, uh, less money. Yeah, if the funding formulas aren't changed, yeah. uh, it, it, it's going to get a it's going to be a very, very technical argument. All right. I got to get to our uh, final break of the show. Let me do that right now. We've still got a few minutes left to take on, oh, about 18 issues. <laughs> this is Political Rewind. <laughs> Now's the time to help make GPB Stealth Drive a success. So you'll continue to hear more programming and less fundraising. But this will only work when you help us raise the funds we'd receive during a traditional on-air campaign. And as you know, that would mean taking time away from the programs you hear. Your support allows GPB to deliver the valuable services you rely on and enjoy. So now is the time. Donate at gpb.org or 800-222-4788. In 2017, U.S. Navy destroyers collided with large commercial ships in two separate incidents in the South China Sea, killing 17 American sailors. On the next Fresh Air, we speak with ProPublica's T. Christian Miller, part of an investigative team that found chronic understaffing and other problems affecting ships in the 7th Fleet, which responds to threats from China, North Korea, and Russia. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB and gpbnews.org. All right. We got a very little time left, a lot to talk about. I want to do one thing really quickly, Jim Galloway, and we'll do this fast. I'm just going to ask you. Uh, Republicans have now misfired twice on attacking Lucy McBath. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they tried to attack her on her residency in Tennessee. Turns out she doesn't live in Tennessee. Uh, they tried to trick her with a package that was signed for by her mother-in-law, not her. And that one misfired. More recently, just this last couple of days, the Washington Free Beacon, a very conservative news uh, uh, outlet in Washington, ran a big story on Ilan Omar's contributions to a number of Democratic candidates, including Lucy McBath, and then said the McBath campaign had failed to publicly uh, uh, to make note of the contribution. Right, and as it turned out, as it as it happened, uh, they they simply declined the uh, the, the check here. They yeah. said they weren't going to take yeah, it. They, now they were out this morning saying that oh, but they she took it in 2018 before. Uh, Omar held held any office. Yeah. Uh, it gets it gets 
But here's where it does get more complicated, Michael. If this again is the split in the Democratic Party, you know, you if do you support Ilan Omar as a Democrat? Do you think she is in fact worthy of of being someone you take contributions from, respect for her position on issues, or do you treat her like at at arm's length? That's a hard issue for Democrats to have to deal with. It, it may be hard for some. It's not as hard for others. Um, I, I think we, we have to stand strong as a party. We have to understand that uh, being one of the first Muslim women to, to join Congress is incredibly hard during a time we've now had years of, of xenophobia, I think, running wild in this country. Um, so I think she's incredibly courageous for the work that she is doing and willing to make those those uh, willing to, to be bold enough to ask the questions about some things that need to be asked. I may agree with that, Ginny, but when a campaign, when a Lucy McBath believes that it, she has to refuse that check, she, she has to, and, and, it suggests that there's a problem. There. there is a problem, absolutely. And to say it's an easy decision, it's not an easy decision for our Jewish constituents and those that take real exception to some of the things that uh, Ilmar Omar has, has, has said in public. Um, so I, I think probably Lucy McBath's campaign did the right thing in distancing themselves from her. Um, they should have returned the check, and I'm glad they did. Uh, Kyle, real quick, what do, do you see the Democrats struggling with this? Well, I think uh, the use of Ilan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and a lot of different Republican ads, they let off Karen Handel's ad, too. I think it's a new kind of Southern strategy updated for 2019 that Democrats need to learn how to deal with. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right, we're fast running out of time. Ginny uh, Earhart, you sent me a note uh, saying... <laughs> Talk, let, let's talk, and we have about a minute and a half to do okay. it. Talk about decorum. You you uh, said to me, why don't we talk just briefly about the fact that decorum is broken down in the Georgia legislature? Mm-hmm. I presume the next part of that sentence is like it has in the, on Capitol Hill. Right, <laughs> right, right, absolutely. You know, I, interestingly, and I, I, it's what I have to compare it to, my, my favorite uncle, uh, almost like a grandfather to me as I was growing up, was the longest-serving Democrat in the Florida House of Representatives. Uh-huh. So I grew up watching my uncle interact with Republicans. Uh, I saw the, the civility, quite frankly, between he and his his Republican friends and how they operated and how they worked. Um, and then, of course, having had my exposure to the legislature just, uh, you know, through osmosis and through my association with my husband in the past, um, I've seen a real decline, <clears throat> a real change. And I, you know, it's almost sort of that AOC mentality, sort of that new, those new guns that are coming in. Um, what I've witnessed is, uh, quite frankly, kind of shocking. And not just to me and some of my Republican colleagues, but to some of the senior uh, Democrat leaders that I've come to know in the House. We're talking about lack of decorum in terms of simply honoring and respecting the leadership roles in the House. But what are you, specifically? Let's get specific specific, Specifically, I would say, for example, um, standing and turning their backs on speakers that are speaking from the well. Um, That's never, that's unprecedented. That's never been done before. This was done during uh, the presentation of 481 in the House. Um, Not just then. There have been situations where they have organized in group and got up and left left the chamber when certain bills were being committed. That's not unprecedented. Precedented. It's mm-hmm. unusual, but it is not unprecedented. So my sense is, and we've talked about this on the show, Jim, that decorum on both sides is probably, Ginny frames it as the Democrats. I, I think we've seen it. You could say that the Senate, Republicans in the Senate, in the way they treated women in terms of committee assignments, were equally uh, lacking in a certain graciousness and decorum, uh, it, even as women take more power. I think, it, from my point it's, of view, on both sides, but it does, in the 10 seconds we have left. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an issue when you have Democrat uh, Representatives refusing to stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance and put their arm over there, put their hand. That I have not seen. Oh, oh, it's happening. All right. 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 Well, Ginny, you got the last word in on today's show. Uh, Kyle Hayes, thank you for joining us. Michael Owens, Ginny Earhart, Jim Galloway, you'll be back on Friday, and I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Jackie Cushman and Theron Johnson. We always love it when the two of them are on the show. I'm Bill Nygut. See you tomorrow at two. Uh, 